You spit into the wind and then are resentful when it flies back in your face. This is the Oakham Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum. And on today's episode of the podcast, we're going to be ripping some uh, some Q and A's. Uh, posted a Q and A this past week. Um, got a bunch of responses, so we're just I, I haven't read through all of these. They're they're all just sitting up here on my phone. So we're going to go through. I'm sure there's going to be some silly ones, and there's hopefully going to be some ones we can get some content with. Um, flying in the DC. Just a couple updates. Uh, flying in the DC this week. Uh, presenting for a conference um, on Friday. Going to be there Thursday, Friday. So pretty pumped for that. Hopefully meeting. Um, Meeting some coaches that uh, I've been looking forward to meet for a while. Um, grab some dinner with some buddies and uh, excited for that trip. Excited for a lot of the consulting. I've really been enjoying the consulting process and the even just like the seminar process. I, I think it's a really great way for me to I, I have like a million ideas a minute and trying to sum it all up and like forces me to take all the chaos of my brain and make it make sense and make it digestible, which I think Q&As do a really nice job of and articles do a nice job of anything like longer form this really nice job of me forcing me to take all of these thoughts that I have and, and distill it down into something that is actually actionable and actually able to do something with so I actually really enjoy some of these some of these conferences and, and just talking to people and meeting a lot of really cool people and and traveling which is something that I've been looking forward to um, doing for a while now and, and just getting to a point in which we're able to travel and present on some of these things um, has been a really cool experience I'm pretty blessed to be able to do that so excited to have that this week um, started up indoor indoor softball this, this past week um, so we still got the 100 cuts a day I think that's something that uh, it's probably the, the biggest passion right now that I've been working on is, is not so much even softball, but the hundred cuts a day. Can, can you show up every single day, take the daily sacrifice, uh, kind of move forward, um, in, in something in your life and, and accept your responsibility as a human reading a lot of like Nietzsche. I think that that's something that uh, I just feel like it's, it, it's a lost art. It's, it's, we're sold on so many, so many bullshit things and just not accepting the responsibility of being a human and accepting all that that entails, which is the suffering, which is the um, the bad things and the good things and the work um, and just looking at light through those lenses and, and not in a in a bad. It's not I accept suffering and life sucks uh, and it's just going to happen. And like last half empty type of person, it's there is beauty in suffering and there is beauty in hard work and there is beauty in a lot of the things that we 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 feel like there's not beauty in when we kind of shun it off and we, we like we wish for better days um and that's been something that I've really really had an eye opening kind of experience in past year with is just embracing that and i think life gets a lot more beautiful when when you when you look at it that way and, and you're not stuck in the woe is me um not even woe is me but i can't wait for things to get better and i think it's the same same lines of the training like we're always training for something we're training for the super bowl we're training for the conference championship we're training for later and i feel like it's all kind of the same thought process of wishing away life that is here right now um and when you do that when you do train for something that's far away when you do wish for better days you don't actually get what you need to get done in the moment uh, so you never actually reach that peak which i think is the biggest part of all of it is like that peak you were forever reaching for, you'll continue to forever reach for because you're not grabbing what's in front of you right now. Um, and so that's been something I've been shifting my mindset on. And even if it's not shifting it completely, it's uh, accepting it more um, and getting getting better at conceptualizing why that matters and why it's such a big thing in life has been has been cool. 
And uh, something that I started the year off with uh, on one of my psychedelic trips was basically like slow down and just just see how much you can learn by slowing down and doing what you're supposed to do every single day. And I was just told that on the psychedelic trip, like over and over again, just slow down, do what you can do in the day to day. And like now I'm having all of these profound revelations in my life and profound things that and opportunities presenting themselves and profound success in business and profound success in the gym by taking 100 cuts of softball a day. Um, and that that's something that I've, I've been super passionate about is it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what your sacrifice is. It just matters that you do something every day to embrace the everyday. Um, and so that's something that I'm really excited for is just how how far can you take something as silly as slow pitch softball if you're just approaching it in the right way every day and taking that sacrifice. So that's kind of been where my brain's at right now. Um, I, that's a we're already ranting and we're four minutes into this podcast or 10 minutes into this podcast. So going to get to the first question. Um, let's see what we got here. Uh, one of one mean asked, is the strength coach being an assistant coach for a sport, the future of S and C? Ah, man, I, I think there's, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of good that can come there. And there's a lot of bad that can come there. Like a good sport coach, uh, Michael Zweifel, that's in, uh, I think, I think he's at lacrosse. He just made the, not made them, but like they're the number four team in the nation right now. And, before he got there, they were they were kind of a laughing stock when we played them. And that, that was a while ago, but like that that that's the power of a good coach. That's the power of somebody changing a program. Um, but again, like you can't just have a skill coach or a strength coach or an assistant coach that's not good at their job coach both of them. And and I think that's the thing. It's just the quality of a coach. You're not a strength coach. You you're not a skill coach. You're not a sport coach. You you're an everything coach. And I think a lot of coaches write off that responsibility um they, they shut it away um because they're not good coaches um i really believe if i really wanted to i could go coach a sport any sport you can go learn it it, it like it, it's the skill of coaching the skill of understanding humans and then you just dive into the technical tactical aspects of your sport and understand and become obsessed with it and become a master of it same as a sport coach where they're they're into technical tackle they could just switch over and come and understand and the the physiological side of things with with the barbell sets and reps it's the same thing it's just that knowledge piece but if you're not a good sport coach you're not going to be a good strength coach and if you're not a good strength coach you're not going to be a good sport coach and you can't just switch over and be like well i was a, a sport coach and i understand their leverage it's like no you don't your volume that you have on the field is already crazy you're going to go do the same thing in the weight room and try to mentally tough them into you're just going to hurt them more. So I think the quality of the coach that matters, I don't think the role matters as much as people think it does. Um, I think one of the benefits of being a head football coach and then the strength coach is that you have total control. Um, I think one of the worst things right now that we have, especially in the college sector, is the the hierarchical, hi hierarchical approach to sports performance where the head coach, where the strength coach works for the head coach. I think that is beyond dangerous. Um, and it's the same thing with the ATs and the PTs in this college sector. Um, as much as they say they don't, ATs and PTs answer to the head coach and strength coaches answer to the head coach. And admins are in the only person the head coach answers to is are admins and admins are even worse. They're even less qualified for their jobs and especially the job of the specific sport. So we just have this really poor approach to how we set up sports performance, how we set up an athlete's training in the college sector because it all goes through one person and every single coach and every single person is flawed 
Um, and when, when it all, all goes through somebody and you always have to answer that way, especially when they don't have an expertise in what they're supposed to have an expertise in, it all falls apart. So a strength coach could actually be a really good strength coach and, and want to do things in the right way. And they have to answer to a head coach that has no idea what the fuck he's talking about. So that's not really going to help you. I think being the head coach and then working down through there, it, that's where it could be helpful strictly because then you have more say in what you do right now. A strength coach should have a ton of great ideas, but if the head coach doesn't agree, they don't get to do that. So that'd be the only benefit I would see to having a sport coach be the head strength coach is that they have the total say, the total control. But the best way to do that is to get rid of the, 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 the latter approach, get rid of where the head coach of the football team is above the strength coach in the strength coaching setting. It should be this round table discussion of how to treat an athlete. Um, and the head coach should not be able to fire a strength coach. Um, and as much as you want to argue what it is, if a head coach does not want a strength coach there, the strength coach is gone or will not be working with their team. So I think you need to, I think you need to fix the structure of the college strength conditioning world first. Um, and then you don't have to deal with any of this. Um, and then hire good coaches too. If you don't have good coaches, none of this matters. Yeah. All right. Waddles 10 asked, when training until disinterested, how do you make sure you get enough stimulus before you get disinterested? Uh, that's so the whole point of training until disinterested, the, the stimulus stops when they are disinterested. Like that, that's the whole point. Like, if they are super engaged, um, they're PRing the whole time. And, and that's another thing, too. Like, they're not going to become disinterested if they're continually PRing and continually pushing out high in outputs. So that, that that's one of the best parts about the disinterested thing. It's almost one of the best ways to auto-regulate training for these athletes is when their outputs start to drop. When they are no, let's say we're jumping over a hurdle and they're they're jumping 30 inches, they jump 32, they jump 33, they jump 34 as soon as it drops to 28 and then they're they're just continually hitting the pipe uh, over and over again at that 33 mark. And it's not even close. That's when their interest drops. Okay. That's when I know we just auto-regulated there. That that's the definition of auto-regulation that they hit a point where they can't go any further. Their, their, their outputs are not high anymore. And then they cut it because their disinterest, their interest in it is gone because they're not winning anymore. So I, I think there's, there's a big component to where it automatically auto-regulates um, and you're getting that stimulus in. Uh, you're, you're, you're just because I, let's say one day I get five jumps in because the athlete wasn't feeling it. You can say, well, I could just program five sets of three jumps and you're forcing them to jump in. I got 15 jumps in. Yeah. You got 10 other shitty jumps in like they're, they're not good jumps. That's not good stimulus. Just cause you got volume in volume doesn't mean shit for mo the most part for that part of it. Like you're getting five high intensity jumps the same way we did. And you probably don't get five high intensity jumps because you you structured their jumps. You you told them they have to do five sets of three and they're pacing themselves instead of auto-regulating themselves through there. Um, so you you get more jumps when you do five sets of three and you can say you got that stimulus there, but the the, the quality of the stimulus and the intent of the stimulus is so much lower than the five jumps we, we got over here. Um, and then on day three, when they come back and we, so we only got five jumps in on Tuesday, but two days later they come back in and they're all amped up and we get 42 jumps in or 50 jumps in. And there are days where athletes are PRing on their 50th jump. And if you say that's BS, like you, ha you haven't worked with an athlete in this setting because you can absolutely do it. You put two to three good athletes going at it over a hurdle or at a jump mat, they can jump for days and days and days and days until somebody like stops PRing and somebody stops losing when the energy is there. Um, and that's a day where you got 50 super high intensity jumps and a bunch of PRs there. 
uh, where your five sets of three program is going to get them 15, again, mediocre jumps, or even if they are 15 good jumps, just because they are feeling good that day, you missed out on the 40 other jumps they could have got on that stimulus. So I just really believe it, it's a great way to auto auto regulate with the athletes um, with a lot of high intensity. Um, and I think the, 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 we, we, we force athletes to do too much on a lot of days when they don't want to do it. And then we cut athletes off way too fast when they do want to do it. Um, and I think that's a good mark of a poor coach of just not being with your athletes in person. Again, it, it goes back to what I was talking about at the start of the podcast. You're always preparing for something. So it's never the Super Bowl the day of the day, the day, this day doesn't matter. This day doesn't matter. It's we're always building. We're always building. It's this day does matter. They're feeling it that day. That day matters. Competing that day matters. That movement practice that day matters. Um, and just accept that and own it. It's a great day to get after it and we're doing it. Um, and even when it's not a good day, okay, it, the day still matters and we're still working through there. But I think a lot of times coaches just like we, we program this whole thing out and then we just say, well, we're building up for something. And then they just totally lose what's in front of them and the, the beauty that is in front of them and the movement session that is in front of them. And I think we can do much better. And the, the stimulus that you're looking for will come just, just, just put a bunch of athletes in a room, let them athlete get out of their way. Um, and when it's meant to happen, it'll happen. And when it doesn't, it wasn't, when it's not meant to happen, it won't happen that day. And that's okay. Uh, that's a day then it wasn't supposed to happen. Um, and again, don't spit against the wind and get pissed off when the spit flies back in your face. That's the, the Nietzsche line. I just chapter I was reading yesterday. Um, like when it's not there, it's not there. Then we'll go to the next question. Kit Catering asks, anxious athletes prepare better but perform worse relative to their abilities. Agree? Thoughts? This is something I, I've talked about a lot um, recently because it's something that I've changed my mind on. If you're anxious, you're anxious for a reason. And I think a lot of times we ignore this. Uh, <laughs> like, And it goes deeper into the psychology of the, everything else. But it's like you're anxious because your mind is telling you you're not prepared. You're not ready for the environment that you're about to be faced in. And you prepare more. Uh, you, you've done it in practice. That's something that we hear all the time. Like, oh, I can do it in practice, but I can't do it in a game. No, the fuck you can't. You can't do it in practice. You just got 2000 attempts to do it in practice and you randomly completed it 10 times. And all you're looking at is those 10 times of success. And we're like, yeah, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. Um, and you're doing it against a lesser competition in practice with less stakes. Um, so you can't do the skill set that you want to practice. You just had a bunch of attempts to roll the die and you got lucky a couple times in practice. You should be able to repeat that over and over and over again. So I really feel like a lot of the mental toughness stuff that we talk about is bullshit. It, it's, it's avoiding the actual hard work and the sharpening of the tool and the acts that you need to do to get good, to get not anxious. And it's, again, it's, it's something that I've definitely fallen into. Um, and that, that's not to say that there's not benefits to some of the mental practices, but I believe the biggest way you can move the needle is just by getting good. Like get really fucking good at your craft, get actually good, spend 10 years working on your craft, take the hundred cuts every single day. And I promise you when you walk up there and you are actually competent in what you're supposed to be competent in, you're not anxious anymore. You, you're, you're not, you, you, you might get a little nervous. You might get like a little amped up, but you step up to the plate, you step up to the free throw line. And you're like, I can do this. And you know, you can do it. And you actually know that that anxiousness is your body and your mind telling you I'm not ready. Uh, and that's okay. But what's not okay. And this is what we do a di huge disservice for athletes in. We write off that anxiousness as, oh, we just need, we did. It's just a mind thing. It's just a mind game. You can do it in practice. And we lie to them. And that, that's what we're doing. We lie to them to sell them some sort of 
poison or some sort of placebo and maybe to get through the moment, maybe to get through like in the game that works. But the actual answer is they haven't worked hard enough and they're not good enough. Not even that they haven't worked hard enough up to the point. It's just that they're not good enough. And telling them they're not good enough and that's why they're anxious gives them the ability to go get better because everybody everybody can get better that's the other thing too it's like we 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 write off so many athletes we just say it's like a genetics game it's um they just don't have the talent they just don't that so much of that is bullshit when you just look at what the human body is actually capable of doing and how far you can actually push something if you just accept that you suck at something and you accept that you can get better at that thing that you suck at if you just spend a shitload of time working on it. You, you spend a shitload of resources looking up how to get better at it. You spend a shitload of resources working with coaches and drills and actually working on your craft. And so accepting the thing that you aren't good, which is a huge piece, and having somebody tell you that you're not good. The reason you're anxious, dude, is because you're not good at the sport, Okay. That's a hit to the ego. That sucks, man. But it has nothing to do with your mindset. It has nothing to do with this. You're just not good at the sport. And that's either due to your practice habits or, and most likely, it's just due to you haven't done it long enough for hard, like long enough time with enough reps, okay? that That's the second part. You just haven't done it for long enough. Let's get back to work. And those nerves will go away. And I think a lot of times when you don't have this boogeyman in the, in the closet of all oh, like the anxiety is going to come back when I step onto the game, like, or the anxiety is going to come back when I step onto the court, the anxiety is going to come back when I step onto the field, I can do it right now. And I know it can do it right now. But when I step on there, that anxiety comes back because it, it's a mental game. And I haven't figured out the mental game. And nobody has any metrics to show the mental game. When you get rid of that boogeyman, because I really don't believe that boogeyman's there. And you just tell them they're not good enough, you need to get better. When they actually get better, and they put in the process, the the the, the work to get better, then they step on a court like, I'm better now. I'm, I'm better at my sport. I'm better at this skill set that I want to get good at. I know I can perform this skill set. I don't need to be anxious. There is no boogeyman. It's, it's not going to come back because now I'm better. I had anxiousness before because I wasn't good. I don't have it now because I'm better. Um, So I think that's a big thing that we do a disservice to athletes. Um, I don't know if it's that there's so much money in the, the sports psych world or if it's because we just don't want to tell athletes that they're not good enough or, and I think this is a bigger piece. We don't believe athletes can get better. So we need to find a different solution or a different reason that they're not good. Um, when I, I think it, it's just having a belief in your athlete that if they want it, they can get better. And that's not forcing it on them. If they don't want to get better, that's okay too. Like it, it's your guys' life. Like wherever you want to take it, you take it. But if you actually want to get better, here's what's wrong. You're, you're not good at the sport. You need to spend more time getting better at the sport. Um, and, and when you get better at the sport, those nerves are going to go away and you're going to be able to step up to the plate and understand, I need to put that ball here. Uh, and I know I can put that ball here, uh, with this pitch and I'm going to go do it. Uh, and you take a deep breath and you go and do that. And after five years of work, you step up to the plate and you don't have those nerves anymore. Uh, and I think that's a much better solution for athletes, for coaches, um, for pretty much anybody for nerves, for anxiety to just, to just face it uh, and to accept these things and, to have the belief in yourself to know it'll go away once you get better and to understand it's not just this random boogeyman that you have no control over. Um, and that's been very powerful for me in sports um, and, and very powerful for a lot of the athletes that I work with and, and talk to is just, just get competent. And when you get competent, confidence follows. All right, next question. What variables do you look for in an in-season for in-season and off-season athletes? What variables do you look for? 
what variables do you look at for in-season and off-season athletes? Like the difference between an in-season and off-season program, maybe they're asking. Um, may, maybe I'm just not reading that right because we're live right now. But um, the difference between in-season and off-season programs, typically we we cut the amount of days down. Like we're we're four to five days um, off-season, probably two-ish days in-season if 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 we're a high-contact sport. Um, We'll, we'll touch on what they're not very, what they're not hitting a lot of, but the volume of it goes down. So we'll like, we'll touch on one to two max velocity sprints in a session instead of maybe where it's, it's until disinterested in the off season, in the in season, probably cutting it to like one or two touching high velocity, like sprints, straight line sprints. Um, same with jumps. Um, we probably won't do a lot of like posterior work before a game. That's a big thing. Um, depending on how the practices are, that depends too. If they're going to have a lot of like high flying, high velocity practices, we'll stay away from a lot of posterior work before that practice. Um, so a lot of times we'll split up the the sessions into maybe doing like um, in the morning, we'll do some big lifts, um, general qualities, uh, jumps and sprints in the morning, maybe a little bit of a primer there for them to feel good for practice. Then they go to practice. And then after practice, we'll hit some of the accessory work, some of the, the posterior work. That's been a setup that we've done a lot, especially when I was at St. Thomas working with the football team there. Um, and then a lot of times just like keeping them live, making them, I think a big thing too, is like having them enjoy the weightlifting sessions. Um, and that, I, that doesn't change in season or off season. I want them to enjoy that, but really in season, I think making them enjoy the sessions because sometimes the practices are so brutal um, and like they're not enjoyable and they're pretty dead. Um, the practices themselves and that, that goes on to the sport coach. But if as a strength coach, you don't have a say in their sport coach practice, um, you need to give them some sort of session where they're alive and they're, they're, they're feeling confident. Um, they can have wins, they can have fun, they can laugh. Um, and the amount of athletes that basically have trained with us in season strictly for the mental boost of, dude, I, I won't survive my practice if I don't have something to look forward to training wise. Um, the amount of kids that have told me that is pretty crazy. So like, we'll do silly games. Um, usually we'll do a lot less small side of games in our sessions when they're in season, but we'll do a lot more silly games like, um, table ping pong. We did a lot at the old gym where we had, um, uh, two tennis paddles and, um, two, uh, pickleball paddles. And we have a little ping pong ball and we'd go off this table it's basically ping pong but you got bounces on the ground we play with a spike ball so if it bounced on the ground you could play it up play off the walls so some of the more silly like um fiag type games fun games um, just give them something to look forward to um and then let their bodies move um a lot of spinal waves a lot of hip work in season whether that is making them feel better or it's the placebo of uh, just shaking it out and moving a little bit that's big for a lot of athletes too but that's probably the biggest difference um but again, we do that all with our off-season athletes too, but probably just cutting down the amount of days, uh, the amount of reps, um, and we don't do any small-sided agility games. When I was at St. Thomas, I had a little bit of say in the practice, and we could add in some small-sided agility games in the practice or before the practice there. Um, but if I'm working with athletes in the private sector at Yoakum Strength, uh, where everybody has – like we have teams from – we have football guys from seven different teams – um, I won't have a say in obviously seven different teams practices. Um, I won't have a say in any of their practices because I don't work at their colleges. So we will, we'll cut out the agility part there unless they're really, really struggling with something. And they come to me and be like, Hey, I'm working on, I can't get off a of press and we can add in some sort of small sided agility game and just give them some sort of room to work on that small side, that, that skill set they're struggling with in the game. Um, and I think that's a big part too, is just like giving them the opportunity and the confidence and a spot to fail. Um, and again, this doesn't change in season or off season, but giving them a spot to fail, giving them a spot to work on new things, um, especially in season, if they are struggling with something, a lot of times if they're struggling with something, they don't have the freedom to work on that something in 
uh, practice because their jobs are on the line. So like you talk about a pass rusher that like, man, I struggle with the spin move. I struggle with the rip spin. Um, but if they struggle with it and they work it in practice and they're fighting for a spot and the scout team dude pancakes them when they're working on a new move, uh, they're going to get benched. Uh, and that, that, that is the college sector. They, they'll look at the film. They're like, this dude got benched on that. Or he just got pancaked. I can't have him get it. Well, he's working on a new move. Of course, it's not going to be pretty. So that's where you as a strength coach and, and sport coach can kind of bring them to the side and give them the freedom. Obviously, ideally, that is taken care of in a practice because the whole point of practice is to work on your craft. But that is not what most practices are. Uh, it's just try to hold on to your job and try to um, continually do the things that you're good at so you don't look bad in front of a coach who will bench you at the, the first sight of you being bad. So you could give them some sort of freedom to work on these, uh, some of these type of moves, some of the things that they struggle in in practice um, in a setting in which they're not going to get benched on. Okay, you suck at a rip spin. Let's work on that at our place um, in a bunch of different environments and get them confident in there. So when they do have to go do it, they can go do it in their setting. So those are probably the different changes. Um, hopefully that answered your question. Hopefully I was understanding what your question was. Next question. <clears throat> All right. Josh asked, how do I practice dragging more deer if the DNR only lets me shoot one? Um, <laughs> Josh, I am not the DNR, uh, and I cannot give you illegal advice. So only shoot one deer. That'd be great. Uh, and don't get me arrested on this podcast. Uh, I haven't shot a deer since. Since probably, I think I, I've only shot one deer in my life. I've shot at two deer. I got one. I missed one. But uh, that was in like eighth grade. I haven't been hunting since. So maybe that's something I get back into if I get back into like the later years. But uh, yeah, I don't have a ton of advice there for you. What's your podcast called? Oh, Charlie, bro. That's a bad question. It's the Oakham Strength Podcast. How do you not know what the podcast is called? What on earth was going on in that video on the previous slide? Uh, oh, I think you're talking about hit tracks. So hit tracks is indoor softball. Um, in Minnesota, obviously we have snow on the ground here I mean, fucking, I mean, I guess it's November now. It's pretty late now, but we're going to have snow until May or July. Like Minnesota sucks, bro. I'm trying to get out, but what on earth? Um, so the, the hit tracks is a computer that reads your exit velo and where you hit the ball. Um, and it's actually really, really like, it's pretty accurate. Uh, it's pretty cool. Like if, if you hit the ball to left field, it shows you on the computer screen exactly where you hit the ball, the distance. Um, It's a little bit like wind dated. Like if you, if you have a good um launch angle, it's going to give you a home run a little bit easier in hit tracks than it would in real life. Um, And obviously it doesn't show uh like defenders shifting in certain areas, but so when you, when you hit in this cage, this computer will read it. Um, and hit tracks you play in Minnesota, we play 6v6. So I have six of my guys. They have six of their guys. Um, you pitch against each other. Um, and I'll hit the ball. The computer will read, uh, was it a hit or not, uh, depending on the spot. So, like, if I hit to the shortstop, it'll be an out. Like, they'll, they'll, they'll receive it in the ground and then throw me out at one. Uh, I don't run or anything. I just hit the ball. Next guy will come up, hit the ball, whatever, whatever. Also, six of us go till we get three outs, same as softball, then the other team will hit. I'm going to just play each other, but it's a good way to get a lot of at-bats in in the offseason and get a little bit of competition there. Um, but yeah, that's probably what was happening in that last video. I'm pretty sure that's what was happening there. Um, Evie asks, what pisses you off the most? I want to rant. Well, currently what pisses me off the most is we just did a website update and we're having a lot of issues with it and I hate technology. So that's currently what's pissing me off the most. Uh, we're trying to fix a lot of things. I got the, we, I wanted to, we, we changed like our sign up process and our cancellation process and just try to make a lot of things easier for the onboarding and outgoing process for, for clients. Um, and then, um, we added a resource tab so I can add in a bunch of um, 
bunch of documents that I want to add in. So like I put in our nutrition guideline in there. Um, what else I got? I'm going to put in a frequently asked questions there. Um, some of my training philosophies in there, but just, just date like weekly thoughts, that type of thing. But you can, you can download um, that and you have all the resources there. Just, just some small tweaks to the website and shifting it over just to be a little bit more user-friendly and this type of thing, but having a little bit issues with that. And I'm not a coder, so I'm going through with my website designer to go through, but some of the meticulous points of that I suck at and I don't understand. And then it gives me anxiety that the website's all going to die. So that's probably what's pissing me off the most right now. Um, but you want to rant. Ah, oh, man, there, there's so much to rant on um, in the field. I feel like I've ranted on a lot in the field. I'm trying to think of something. I think one of the biggest things that I just got done ranting on is um, trainers that make you feel like you need them. I, I think that's a that's a big uh, thing that pisses me off is like this whole this whole marketing thing like that this these these coaches are like they they sell their poison. And then they justify it by, I'm just being business savvy. You're just not, you're not doing the business side of things. I'm being business. It's like, no, that's not business savvy. You're making that person feel like they need you. And then they don't feel like they can do it themselves. They feel insecure. You're, you're prying on insecurities. You're, you're prying on exactly the reason this, this, this person, this person that should love movement and should love be within their body. You're, you're, you're preying on exactly the thing that is keeping them from the gym right now, which is they don't feel confident. They don't know what they're doing. Um, they, they, they have this disconnect with movement and then you're, you're, you're prying on that and then trying to sell them some bullshit. All of your programs suck. I guarantee if you're that type of person, I guarantee your program sucks. I know your program sucks because you're spending all of your, one, you wouldn't have to market that way. You would not have to market that way if your program didn't suck. That that's that's just the end all be all. Like if your program didn't suck, it would market itself. Um, and I think that that's a big thing. So like that pisses me off is like they're selling bullshit to people that need better advice, people that need help, people that just need to come into their body and just need like a step one. You're selling bullshit to those people. And that's going to be their first experience to fitness or their their comeback experience to fitness. And you're going to fucking ruin it for them. They're going to spend 1500 to two grand on something that that sucks and they don't find passion in and they, they don't get results in. And then they're going to give up on movement and then they're going to give up on what they're doing because they just spent two grand and you scammed them out of it. Um, and then the coaches will go, well, I'm just being business savvy. I'm just... No, you're, you're being a piece of shit. Um, and I think we need to admit that. And I think we need to call that out um, and understand that business savvy is creating a really, really, really good product. And then just showing off your product and getting people to buy it that way because your product is worth that much. Um, and that that's what we do at Yoakum Strength. I, that's what I at least try to do at Yoakum Strength. It's just like, here's our product. Here's exactly what we do. I believe in it. I believe it can change people's lives. I believe it can be a great thing for people to do, to benefit their lives, to benefit their movement practice, to learn. Um, I believe in that. I have, a, I have, I believe in our philosophy. I believe in what we do. If you guys want to be a part of it, come be a part of it. Here's how, you know, like that, that's your marketing strategy. And I think a lot of people like it's it just, it's so gross. Like you spend, you, you don't, and I think the thing is like, they know they don't have a good product deep down. So they know they can't go do that. So again, instead of fixing and admitting that they suck at their products, they, they go to the mental toughness side of it. Just like we were talking about before, instead of like going to the brick cause of the problem, they, they disguise it in something else and they'll get success for a little bit, but it doesn't change the fact that your program sucks. And, and if your product sucks, you're going to disappear. So I think fixing your product first, 
having something that you are pretty passionate about um, and, and believe in wholeheartedly, then marketing becomes super easy because it's just showing off what's worth showing off. So that that pissed me off recently. Um, but right now, uh, just even before I hopped on this podcast, I spent like two hours on the website trying to get everything fixed. So hopefully that was a good enough rant for you. Um, and we'll go to the next question. What position do you play in softball and how big of a cannon arm do you have? <laughs> uh, I play outfield in softball working on infield this year. So that, that's that been kind of my off-season mission. Same thing. It's just like every skill, and I, this is something I really enjoy doing in my life, is like if I can do it, anybody can do it. Like if I can go learn something I've never done before, everybody can. And then once you get to that point, you understand just how far you can take something by just working at it. And then you realize a lot of the talks that we have of like that person's just not talented enough, that person just doesn't have it, is bullshit. And like as you continue to push these things and learn these things and you get out of that mindset – you get out of the thought process of like genetics and you get out of the thought process of what you were born with and the skill sets you have. And you just get out of all of it and you realize you can take yourself to an extremely high level to the 1% of the 1% by just working at something and becoming obsessed with something. And, and that is very freeing to me and that that's super exciting to me. So that that's my thing I'm working on right now is learning infield just to show that I can and prove that I can um, to myself and, and confirm my philosophies and beliefs in how far you can take something. Um, and the cannon of the arm is actually something I'm doing too. So, um, don't have a cannon of the arm. My arm sucks. I've never done a throwing program. I never played baseball growing up. Um, so this is like the first time I've actually like done any sort of throwing. Um, so I'm going to run a throwing program this entire off season and see how fast I can throw a softball and how fast I can throw a baseball. And we're going to see how that experiment goes and see how far we can take that. But I'm actually pretty excited for, for, for that journey. But, um, Right now, the arm is non-existent, and by the end of it, the arm will be absolutely existent. And hopefully, we can hit some sweet numbers and do and learn some cool things along the process too. I think that's that's one of the cool things too is like when you learn something new, you learn so much. Not even about the sport. Like I'm not trying to learn how to throw better. I'm trying to learn how to learn how to throw better. You know, and, and the small things that you learn throughout that process. Uh, one about yourself, one about your body, or two about your body, and just about the art of learning things. Um, you meet a lot of cool people when you're you're diving into these rabbit holes. Uh, and I think there's just so much cool stuff when when you're doing cool stuff. Like that, that, that I think that's the uh the mantra there. Like the, you find so much cool stuff when you just go and do cool stuff. And I think a lot of people stop doing cool stuff because to start doing cool stuff, you have to suck at it and people don't want to suck at things. So go do cool stuff and go suck at it for a little bit and see how much see what you learn. Proc asks, when are you PRing in mileage with Dowdle winky face or or questioning face? Um, I might run a mile with Daddle. We'll see. Um, not entirely into running. So Daddle, Mark Daddle is a ultra marathoner that we train. Um, we train whatever, like he does his own, like he, he works out at our gym. We're not training him in the running world. He's just a savage. Um, but he's doing a calendar club right now to where he runs the miles of the day. So in that, but today it's November 7th. He has seven miles today. Tomorrow is November 8th. He has eight miles that day. Um, it's called calendar club and he's been doing it the entire year. So every day of every month, he runs that amount of miles and then he repeats. So like October 31st, he was running 31 miles, October 30th. He ran 30 miles back to back days. Um, it's pretty savage, savage endeavor. He's, I think he's six months in, he just broke the halfway mark. Um, and he's going to do it for the entire year. Um, so maybe I'll run a mile with him. Um, but changing on that, that, that has been entirely, it's been pretty inspirational too of just understanding. I think that's one of the cool things of just showing up every single day and doing what you have to do. 
uh, doing your job as a human, um, the, the daily sacrifices, that's been something I've been thinking about. And anytime, like, I don't want to go do something or whatever, like you just have excuses. You realize like, oh, Daddle has seven miles a day. Delta has eight miles a day. Um, and it, it's, it's not, for me, it's not the impressive mileage that matters. It It's strictly, you have a job today, go do it. And in these, I, I, I've been working on this thought process of, it's in these, sectors that are like not not that they're not well respected but they're like kind of goofy endeavors like it's running it's ultra marathon they're these weird subsectors of humanity that are not it's not like business it's not like it's going to make you a million dollars if you go do this every single day um it's not something that everybody's looking up to to be a better softball player whatever it is it's it's just for the sole fact of you have a job Go do it and go do it to the best of your ability and stop laughing at what your job is. Stop writing off whatever your passion is. And I, I think that's something that's super important for a lot of people. I think a lot of times like you have a passion. It's like, well, yeah, but it's just my side gig. My real job is accounting. Um, Yeah, my it's my side gig, but it's just, it's nothing serious. It's just, it's just something I dabble in. That's such bullshit. That's such a cop-out answer on your part. And I've copped out on it before. Softball and pickleball are two that I cop, I, I copped out on for probably two years. It's something I knew I wanted to pursue. I knew I wanted to pursue it. And I just sat there and one guilt tripped myself into like, it's not a serious endeavor. It's not something that you should like spend your time on. Uh, like all these things. I'm like, it's such a, and then what, what the fuck do you spend your time on? more accounting like you don't and that, that that's the thing like you don't spend you don't put that time that you were going to put into that passion that you were going to put into your daily efforts uh your daily sacrifice of, of working on your craft you don't put that same amount of effort into the time that you lost you just spread it out throughout your day uh and, and you pretend like it doesn't matter and then you lose that passion um and then five years from now you're in the same spot that you were today still talking about your fucking side gig because you never decided to work on it still talking about the thing that you wanted to get better at but you never actually committed to going and doing it um because somebody would laugh at you because somebody would tell you it's not that serious whatever it is whatever it is like that's bullshit again there's so much you can learn from whatever your passion is currently and i think more people just need to dive head first into whatever is right in front of you whatever that is whatever that is if it's pickable Go spend two hours a day working on your pickleball craft and see how much you learn about yourself. And every single, not when you feel like it, but don't do your miles when you feel like it. Don't run your seven miles because today is November 7th, but November 8th, you're a little sore. And I don't know. I don't really know. It's like it, it, you have to show up for yourself every single day. And, and I mean, it's the same, same. And this is where like people get pretty meatheadish about these things, but it's like the same as making your bed every day. Show like, these the small things is as meatheaded as it sounds and this is why i don't like it because meatheads will take it and then they won't do the big things but it's just working on your craft every single day showing up and working on your craft every single day and just watch how much you learn about yourself if i have to hit 100 softballs if dad has to run seven miles today how much does that take care of the rest of your life okay so you know you can't whatever i, I don't drink but you know you can't get fucked up on November 7th, the night, because you know, you have eight miles a day. Okay. So that clears up that part of your life that you needed to clear up. Um, you know, now you have to prioritize time because you have to run eight miles. I have to spend two hours hitting softballs. I have to prioritize my time better. Um, so it, it builds out your life. It simplifies your life when, when you just do the work that's in front of you. Um, and you actually get better at your craft and you pursue something wholeheartedly rather than writing it off and pretending like it's this small goofy thing. It, it's not, you, you're called to go do something for a reason, go pursue it. Stop coming up with excuses. 
Um, stop saying it's something small. Um, stop doing that disservice to yourself and stop doing that disservice to your soul. And I think a lot of people do a lot of disservice to their souls. They lie to themselves. They lie to their souls. And then they wonder why they can't trust themselves. They wonder where that anxiety comes from. The anxiety is coming from your body telling you, I'm not doing what I should be doing right now. I am not enough. I'm not here where I'm supposed to be. Uh, and you ignore it and people write it off and people are like, well, it's just, it's all okay. Like you're doing no bro. Like, listen to these things, listen to the messages that are being told to you. Stop listening to other people, especially other average people, especially people that you don't look up to in life. Listen to your soul. What is it telling you? Are you content? Are you happy with where you're at? Are you, do you, you, do you feel at peace? I think at peace is probably the best measurement of it. When you, when you lay your head on the pillow, when, when you're just sitting alone with your thoughts and sit alone with your thoughts, so you actually have to do it. Stop avoiding your thoughts, sit alone with your thoughts and see what happens. Uh, when I sit alone with my thoughts, did I do what I was supposed to do today? Yes or no. Uh, and if, even if it's not that clear, if you sit alone with your thoughts or you just sit alone doing something, where does your brain go? If it's rushing and telling you da, 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 da. It's probably telling you that because you haven't taken care of the things you need to take care of. So go run your calendar club, go do your seven miles today. And I bet your life sorts itself out a lot. All right. That's the first page of questions. Let me search to the next page. What's the greatest takeaway you have for the online space versus in person? Uh, uh, the online space business-wise gives you a lot of freedom. Um, and this is something that I think I think so it gives you the business uh, the the day-to-day -day freedom to not be locked down in a place. It gives you the Tim Ferriss 4-hour work week. It gives you the ability to exponentially grow a program. On um, one click of a button you can subscribe, you can write you can um uh activate 50 programs for people. So one click of a button, 50 programs in 1 second. I made $50 times 50 people, whatever, whatever, whatever. So that's one click of the button. You can't do that in person, okay? So in person, you're kind of locked down to the only way to make it an exponential growth, the only way to not trade time for money there is by hiring out a bunch of coaches below you, and then you still kind of turn into that manager role. However, that there is a passion to a lot of people have to coach. So I think everybody needs to find something that to where they're making income, that is not tied to their time. So you're not trading dollars or not trading hours for dollars. You need to find some sort of thing. So that's my online programs. It gives me the freedom to, I'm not trading my time for money. It is just exponential. One second leads to way bigger gains than uh, one hour for a hundred bucks, which is like consults and in-person training, that type of thing. When you have that freedom, you can go trade your time for things that you enjoy. So currently I trade my time for consults, which I thoroughly enjoy. I've been super excited to like help people with their business and talk to people and just have conversations where people are fired up to go get their businesses started or, or do a program or get healthy, whatever those things are. I thoroughly enjoy that. So because I have this exponential growth or this exponential factor of an online program that allows me to just have this income that's coming in all over the time, I can go do things I enjoy, which is the consults. If I didn't have this, I would have to program 40 consults a week to have a salary that's worth something. And then there's stress in your passion and you don't want stress in your passion. So that's something. It's also with the in-person stuff. So my in-person stuff, I trade time for money for the in-person training. However, it gives me the freedom to not have to rely on that. So if I don't like an athlete, if an athlete's not a good fit, um, if all, all I do is just one session in the morning, so I'm not spending all day there. Um, I don't have to use my creative outlets on that all day. Um, it gives me the freedom to say no to people. It gives me the freedom. I, th I think that's it. The, the freedom to say no um, and the freedom to trade 
your time for money or your time for whatever you want to trade it for, it gives you that freedom rather than having to trade your time for money. Um, and I think everybody needs to find that, that thing that gives them the freedom to say no. And that's been online programs for me. And it's been that for me because I don't enjoy a managerial role. I, I don't enjoy having coaches work below me. Um, I get, I get too stressed out. Um, I get angry that they're not doing it the way that I would do like that, that type of thing. Like, you know, I, I don't like that managerial role. I don't like the, the fact of like, I tell somebody they have to do it this way and they mess it up. And then I'm like, well, fuck, I could have just did that myself. Like, I don't, I don't enjoy that. Um, that process of things. I really don't enjoy having interns. Sorry, intern Henry. I like you. I love you. Um, but I don't, I don't love the process of having interns. I like, like, and I've been blessed with really good interns. That's the thing too. I've only had like one one shitty intern. Um, and all the other ones have been not even just good interns. They've been cold stone studs. Like workhorse, um, intern Henry, Carter Schmitz. Like those three have been absolute bombs of interns. Like they can't, they don't get better than that intern. And I just don't love the process of that. I don't love the process of being above somebody and like having that control, especially like when you when you have two different converging things. So. That so again, I, I bring that up because if you love that process, if you love working with people in person, make sure you you build out that passion there and, and you you understand what you like. So don't just do online programs because I say I like doing online program. I'm a massive introvert. I don't and I don't love the managerial role. So the in-person gym is not me. I don't want 17 sessions a day and I don't want to have 17 interns or, or coaches below me. I don't I don't like that. I, I know I don't like that. It drains me of my energy. It drains me of what I want to do. Um, but if it gives you energy and you enjoy that, set up your business in a way. And I think that's that's the biggest key is setting up your business in a way in which it works for you, not you working for it. Um, because otherwise like I think a lot of people get confused of like Okay, you started your own business because you were rebelling against the system that you had to work for, the corporate system you rebelled against. Yeah, but now you're work, you're making your business a corporate system that you're having to work for. Um, and I, my brain just doesn't work that way. I don't enjoy that thought process. Um, so I try to set my business up in, to where I'm free. And when I trade my time for something, it's something that I thoroughly enjoy. And then eliminating things throughout my life where I'm, if I don't enjoy it, I'm not trading my time for it. Uh, so I automate it or I just eliminate from my life and I have the freedom to say no in those senses. <laughs> All right. Climbing for grappling. Yes or no? Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I love climbing for a lot of athletes. I think the the shoulder strength, the hand strength, the wrist strength, like I think it's game changing for a lot of athletes. I think the positions you find yourself in in the wall is unbelievably unique uh challenging i think climbing does one of the best jobs of gamifying movements for people um that there's levels to it you can you can succeed at a certain level and within a certain level um you can learn new skills that get you better at it uh you can get stronger there's different skill sets um i think they do one of the best jobs to integrate that into movement um and, and physically I think the the grip wise is insane. And then the hip mobility, I, I think you can spend like I, I, some of the positions I've talked about this before in the podcast, but the hip positions you find on the wall are crazy. My hip mobility has never been better and I've never done less hip mobility. Um, it's because when I climb, I'm, I'm hitting two hours of hip mobility. I'm in these deep lunge positions. I'm balancing on these single legs. Uh, I got internal, external rotation. I'm flag pulling. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of magic to be found there for a lot of athletes. And again, that's not, you know, you have coaches, like I've seen this now. It's like, you said climbing is the best thing for athletes. Um, but it gave me like, look at all the hurt climbers. Uh, like you're just going to hurt the athletes. Like 
that's anything like that you bench press every single day for two hours you're gonna get hurt bench pressing you know like you just do it over if you if you look at the climbers that are hurt that uh, have tendon pain it's because they climb for four hours every day because they're addicted I, I know a bunch of them they're super addicted to climbing they just do it over and over again like i'm not telling an athlete to go do climbs four hours a day every single day um they telling them to do it once or twice a week uh if, for most athletes like getting it in two to three times a month would be awesome for them um so i think that's such a poor argument by people that i think know it's a poor argument they just have to argue against it because they're anti-fetch um and they they've never climbed before so i think that's something that's a silly argument is we're, we're not arguing for them to go be professional climbers we're arguing for them to hop on a wall once or twice a week and have that be a pull stimulus for them. Um, and the lat development that you get from it and the, the back strength that you get from it uh, is pretty insane too. And I don't think you're going to replicate that with any amount of pull-ups or any amount of grip strength training or any amount of even bicep curls or rows. Like I think you can do all of those things and they're going to be solid in your program, but I think you can replace all of those things with just climbing on a wall and it's going to be more engaging for the athlete and they're going to get better results from it couple more questions here what do we got <laughs> fergus asked how to improve work capacity to handle more sports training and gym sessions um so work capacity i think doing the thing that you're not good at over and over again bringing your outputs up so that that thing is not as stressing um and i think repeating this process over and over again for a long amount of time um, getting more efficient and better at your sport is something that's really important in this. Um, when I used to swing in softball, my, I would leave and my back would be so tight. My body would be so sore. And I would, that that's like, I would hit for an hour a day, man, not even every single day, but like that would be after a one hour BP session. This is like two years ago. Um, and now like today, I just got done hitting for three hours before I hopped on this podcast and I like, I feel great. And I did three hours a day before, and I did three hours a day before, and I did six hours a day before, and my body feels great. I don't have issues. And I think a big part of that is I'm just more better at the sport. I'm more efficient with my swing. When I'm better at the sport, I'm more efficient, I'm wasting less energy. I'm better at it. Um, and I'm not spending a ton of time. So I, I think there's a big component to when you get better, everything gets easier. Um, bringing out your out outputs on the other side of things. So adding extreme movement options. So making sure you have the mobility to get in these positions, making sure your body is able to handle the force of these positions. And I think the sport tells you what you need to work on mobility wise. I think the sport tells you what you need to work on strength wise. I think those are two big things. Like you don't have to do just a bunch of hip mobility, random hip mobility. I think that's one of the weird things that we do, like just random hip mobility. I think the sport will tell you if your hips aren't mobile enough. So I think climbing is a good example. If I can't get my leg up high enough on that boulder, I cannot perform that boulder. So I need to work on hip mobility. My limiting factor is hip mobility. The wall told me that. I didn't just do a bunch of random hip mobility, then hopped on the wall and realized I still couldn't do that because it's just random hip mobility. So I think listening to the sport and what your body's telling you and working on that specifically, instead of randomly wasting your time on a bunch of random things that people are telling you you're supposed to do. Um, and I think the same thing with softball. My left... Uh, uh, abductor, um, decelerating in a lot of my swings. Um, and what I realized halfway through, and it, it's the left side of my knee, it's my left knee that also had the ACL and meniscus. Um, I was kind of collapsing in my swing. So the rate limiting factor in a lot of my swings was that I wasn't able to decelerate my, my left, um, uh, glute, my abductors would get super tight and sore. Um, and then my knee wouldn't be able to handle it. I just kind of collapse and fall over. So rather than spending a bunch of time working on everything, I just listened to and watched what I was doing in the sport 
um, and then strengthened that. And when I strengthened that, it was a big KP. It was a thing that was holding me back. It was a rate limiting factor. Hop back on. Okay, I'm watching a sport now, and I'm able to handle the capacity of the sport better because I worked on the specific task. So I think there's a lot of things to do there. Um, if, if you're severely out of shape, just get in better shape. Um, uh, work on a lot of small side of games. Um, and I think is one of the best ways to do that. Um, lift, jump, sprint, do a lot of these things. But again, the better you get at your sport and the more you pay attention to sport, the more you're going to realize where that work capacity is lacking. All right. Last question. Let's see if I can find a good one. Selection for an athlete aspiring to be a performance coach. On... Which exercise are you picking? Sorry, just looking through, just makes sure random. All right, this is a pretty good one. Royal Performance asks, what's the easiest red pill activity coaches can do to spice up their training sessions? Leave your box. I've talked about this before, but leave your box, leave your gym, put three pieces of equipment on your turf, in your field house, wherever you have space to move. If it is your weight room, whatever, it's your weight room. But put a stick, a ball, a box there, okay? Easiest red pill you can do is just stop programming everything. So if you're not red pilled yet, just just try this. Program the rest of your rest of your program. Okay, everything else is programmed. Your warm up. You're gonna pick three pieces of equipment. You're gonna put it out in the middle of your weight room, and you're gonna come up with the program on the spot. How are you gonna warm up your athletes with these these three pieces of equipment? Or you're gonna talk to your athletes. How how are we gonna warm up with these three pieces of equipment? But you're gonna create, and I think the process of creating is something that is definitely be trainable. Like the ability to create is trainable by practicing creating. Um, and, and just do that. Just, just see how that warm-up goes. Um, see the movement options you find. See every all the positions that these athletes are finding organically. And then try to see if you can replicate that in a warm-up, uh, in a warm-up that you programmed. Okay. And I, I think once you see this, you see the smiles that they have, you see the joy that they're having, you see the positions that they find, you're like, oh man, that dude just found a really sweet hip position. Um, with that med ball over the head, balancing on the stage, like that was pretty cool. Like, I don't think I would have ever found that in our, um, lateral lunges that we did on our warm up. Like, that's awesome that he's warmed up and then have them go do the session and, and watch the outputs that you get from that. Uh, watch them probably ask for that to happen again. Um, and watch yourself be interested in the warm up for the first time. Now expand that to how good of a coach could you be if you're interested in the whole session? If you didn't know everything that was going to happen, if you were actually engaged in a session and a part of the organic movement session that's in front of you and you were alive with your session, how good of a coach could you be? How present could you be with your athletes? I think that's a lot of times coaches aren't very present with your athletes because they know everything that's going to happen. They, they've seen it a million times. They know the, the, this is going to lead to this. The, they're, and then they're going to do this. And it's boring, man. There's no way for it not to be boring. And it doesn't need to be. So I, I think that's a great way to make you a very present coach is to make the session alive, make yourself want to be there, be a little bit selfish. And it that's the other thing, like as a coach, like it, it, you, you're not, not selfish. Like all of us are selfish. That That's the thing. Just admit that um, and realize, okay, this session, I can make this session organic and fun for myself to start with. And then it's going to be organic and fun for the people coming to my session because I feel like it's organic and fun. Um, and then just realize how much better of a relationship you have with that session with your athletes in the session. And watch how much fun it is and watch how much work you guys get done. And you can leave not being miserable and you can leave not being bored out of your mind at the session. So I think that's one of the easiest ways to do it. Just practice creating and do it in your warm where it's low stakes and see where you can take it. And, and don't take the blue pill of like every single thing needs to be programmed and expand it from there. So 
I want to thank you guys for listening. Um, I went on a lot of rants there. I kind of black out when I go on these podcasts and I just talk by myself. So, but that, that felt like one of the more organic ones by myself. So hopefully there's a lot of good there. Um, I'm recording. I just finished this at 4 p.m. Central time and I'm going to post at like 5 p.m. Central time. So this is raw. There's going to be no editing there. Not even an intro music. I know I've been watching the analytics. You, you little, you know, I can shouldn't, shouldn't say you little listeners uh, that you guys just skip over my, my telling you to sign up for the insider. It's like super big spike of downloads. And then everybody skips the, uh, the same insider ad. And then everybody listens when the guest comes back on. So I'm watching you guys, but it's still working. You guys are signing up for programs and I appreciate that. Um, and I appreciate you guys listening. Uh, and I appreciate you guys allowing me to do what I do. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood.